sang together and sang as a prayer. Good to see all of you here. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention in the announcement time uh, was I was asked to uh, see her smile about the new Africa. Now there's a birthday card out there, Timmy um, Books card, and if you haven't signed it on the way out, make sure you do that. And let's be in prayer. There's a lot of things happening over the next month or so. Starting tomorrow with Bible School, General, General Assembly, and then Roxbury Camp, which is one thing after another. At the end of this month, we have a special service. We're going to have a baptismal service. We're going to have a short service here, and we're going to the, the Martin Pond. Uh, do it like it happened to me when I was baptized, out in nature to the And so if you would like to be baptized, please talk to me. And we will certainly you with the group that is already preparing. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Numbers 23. Numbers 23. It's in the Old Testament. And we're going to be looking at a very unique story. Um, actually, probably preach a whole series of messages on this. So we're just going to highlight this. Pick out little section here. Numbers 23, we're going to read the first ten verses. Then Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars for me here, and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had spoken. But Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me. Whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height, and God met Balaam, and he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars, and I have offered each, each altar a bull and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. And so he returned to him, and there he was standing by his burnt offering, he and all of them. And he took up this oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Abram, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the mountain, the rocks, I see him. From the hills, I behold him. There, People dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like his. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word to us today. I pray the Holy Spirit would now be our teacher. You would speak through me to this precious people, to challenge us each one, Lord, we would live true and holy lives before you, allowing the Holy Spirit to move and guide and direct us. A lot of voices out there crying for our attention, saying, go this way, go that way. Lord, help us to listen and hear the voice of the Lord and to walk in obedience according to your word. We have an example here of a wicked king 
and a so-called prophet, and how, Lord, you work through their lives, and the end result of the disobedience you brought down. Lord, challenge us to obey and to walk with you, to do those things, Lord, that you made clear to us, that we would be in the center of your will. For only there is the peace and safety and blessing. And so bless this congregation today, and those that may hear this message, Lord, to stir our hearts together that we would walk closer to you, to do your will in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 10 is our text. Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. Now that sounds very noble indeed. As we will see, that is not what happened to Balaam. It was his wish. Now, if you were to read this whole story, beginning there, chapter 22 up through 25, and I'm sure you're glad we didn't do that this morning. But as you go home and have time, read through that story. Get, get more involved in the background and what God was doing here with the Israelite nation. Remember, they had just defeated uh, several wicked kings and countries around them. King Sihon of the Amorites, they, they had asked him, could we pass through your country peaceably? And no, he wouldn't give that permission, rather he came and attacked them. And God gave the victory to the Israelites, and he and his army were totally destroyed. Then King Og, Og, O-G, that's a good name, isn't it? King Og of Bashan fought against them and also was defeated with no survivors. In both cases, the Israelites then moved into these towns and were dwelling there. But here's King Balak. He is a neighboring king of Moab, which is right near where the Israelites were camping. And you can count on the word had spread to him of the terrible things that had happened to his neighbors and the kings, and he was worried. Am I next? What's going to happen to us? And so... He knew that his army was no match with his vast uh, people that were here. And so he hires this so-called prophet Balaam to come and curse them in this spiritual conflict. And you might wonder, Pastor, who, who in the world is Balaam? Well, he's, he's quite an interesting character. If you study up on him, there's a, a diversity of opinion of really who he was and what he did. But I think I would choose to say he was a, a pagan prophet, one who specialized in animal divination and also was to influence the gods as a soothsayer. He had probably heard about the Israelites and how God had delivered them. And three times he tries to contact the spiritual world and fails to give a curse on this vast, great number of people. Uh, in fact, he gave a blessing instead. A tragic account of a man who wanted to please God at the same time wanted to please himself. He wanted the treasures of the world that were promised to him by King Balaam. Now, interestingly, we believe that Balaam knew who God was, just as Israelites did. He was not asked to interpret a dream, only to curse that nation, that vast people. Uh, that had caused such fear to come over the people there in Transjordan area and the surrounding nations. So in this brief background, let's uh, analyze this man further. 
three different ways. Balaam's reputation in the eyes of the world. Balaam's relationship with God. And finally, Balaam's uh, final rationalization that led to a bitter end. So the title of this message, I believe, should bring a challenge to every one of us to how we should end well. Now, it's good to have a great beginning. We should end just as good. So begin then, his reputation in the eyes of the society or world around him. Certainly this man's fame had spread all over the Mesopotamia area. In fact, King Balak had, was living 400 miles away, and he knew of this so-called prophet. Numbers 22, verse 6, the latter part of that verse says, For I know that those who bless, you bless are blessed, and those you curse are cursed. Now we aren't told in this background, uh, the background for this statement, but there must have been examples prior to that of, of the power that this prophet had. And so that Balak, King Balak, was willing to stake his kingdom on this man. Now let's, let's consider his relationship with God. If he had the true knowledge of who God was, because he was accustomed to receiving messages from God, as we see in his interaction here with these guests and these visitors, you look back to chapter 22, verse 8, they spent the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will bring you the answer the Lord gives me. And it comes, wanted him to, to bring a curse on these people. These princes of Moab, they were bringing the request of their king to curse this nation. But later, in verse 18, Balaam refers to the Lord my God, indicating he knew the covenant name for God and claiming a personal relationship with him. And then in verse 12, he gets his answer. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. That sounds pretty straightforward and clear, does it not? What did Balaam do? And even it seems that he was a contentious man, he declares, even if Balak would give me a palace filled with silver and gold, could not do what he wants. Come, to come and put a curse on these people. Well, now it sounds like Balaam understood, right? It came clear to him. The answer that, that he was to give that as the story unfolds here. But, he didn't stop there. And the king kept sending more messengers of higher rank, I guess you would say, in the government. It's no different, really, than any of us here today. As we're wanting to know what's God's will in any given direction, maybe we're wishing for something different. You ever pray, Lord, help me to, to make the right decision. In the back of your mind, you know what that decision is, what you want to do. Well, God does allow his second best, but it's for, at our loss. 
That's something we need to remember. So how much better it is to do and to be in the center of God's will, knowing that our relationship with the Heavenly Father is wonderful and loving and serving Him in obedience. One and then to the third area, his rationalization that led him down. King Balak was not satisfied at all with what this prophet was saying. Because all he could see was, I want that nation cursed. I don't want to hear this other stuff. He wasn't satisfied. So he keeps pressing them, keeps pushing to try to get the prophet to change his direction. After a time, Balaam sought God's counsel yet again. And he heard the clear word from the Lord there in verse 12. God said to him, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they're blessed. I mean, how much clearer could it be? What about the times that we've had? We know what God wants for us. And we bend the rules or compromise of what the Lord is saying to us. Are we going to do that? I don't think so. Balaam withstood his temptation, refused the offer, and sent the official embassies back to Moab. But can't you sort of feel his disappointment? Wow, just imagine. Wow, it's full of gold and silver. Well, just look what I can do for God and put all that money. He says, the Lord refuses to let you go with you. Doesn't seem to be very happy, but rather disappointed. And I going on inside. You see, when we refuse Satan's temptation, what we muse over and we think wishful thoughts, oh, I really wish I could have done that. Satan knows the battle's half won right there. How sad the story of Balaam. And it doesn't end right here in victory that he sent his, his people away. But, as I said, more higher-ranking officials came to offer him this Lord the second time. National honor, unlimited wealth he was, they were offering to him. If only he would just curse that people. It's an unparalleled opportunity that this, this prophet had to influence this pagan society. Moab, what we know of Moab, they would offer their children in the fire terrible wicked nation. If he had only stood firm. Well, there in verses 14 through 17, we again see King Balak's willing to pay any price. He probably up what he was offered the first time. Although Balaam protests that he couldn't cooperate, this time he doesn't turn away his guests. He's down deep, I believe he's hungry for this praise the riches that were being promised to him. <clears throat> Perhaps it was a political uh, or a social or financial opportunity of some kind that would be his. But maybe, maybe just maybe God might change his mind. So he decides to seek God's counsel again. What he hears should be a solemn warning to every one of us here today. For God said this time, go ahead, go with it. You know, God knows the desires of every one of our hearts. 
He knew that Balaam wanted really to go with these men. But our longings are in opposition to the known will of God. We open ourselves up then to the possibility of deception. Deception. We become easy to play with other viewpoints. Moving from one shade of gray to the next until we reason away what we know is God's clear plan for our lives. What a terrible thing it is when God permits something in anger when earlier he was using it in love. The best protection against divine, uh, such divine permissiveness is to wholeheartedly embrace God's will to begin with. Once we know it. Oh, let's pray that our hearts would burn with a passion for what pleases God. For that which He will bless as we pray, O oh Lord, guide and guard our desires. That's what we should pray for. So we can clearly see that it was not God's first will for Balaam to go with these people. And God's anger is now burning against him. You know the story, I believe. He got on his only loyal donkey he had for years, started traveling, and God sent an angel with a flaming sword, of course, Balaam couldn't see it. At different times, the donkey wouldn't do what he's told, and Balaam beat his donkey, and finally the, day, the time came where he crushed Balaam's foot against the wall and was beating his donkey, and his donkey turned on him and talked to him. What's amazing to me is when you read that, Balaam didn't seem to be surprised that his donkey was talking. He was more angry at the donkey. What was wrong with this problem? Truly, he had a problem. And so, he's now in the permissive will of God. He's traveling there. Because even, I believe, even says to the angel, shall I turn back? Duh. Maybe you ought to consider that. And he said, go. And so he says in verse 34, oh, I have sinned. It remind me of some politicians in recent years said, oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I did the wrong thing. Only after they were it really wasn't a confession that they were going to repent and turn and go the other way. Paul makes it clear in 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. The worldly sorrow brings death. So Balaam's ability to discern God's will is blinded by his desire for money, for financial gain. He was allowed covetousness and eagerness. He had allowed this for honor and fame. He, he wanted this. And so he starts his journey. As I said, strange things happen. He was even blinded to God's anger. Certainly think that after the donkey talked, that he would have better reconsidered the decision. And how many of you have had a donkey talk to you lately? Balaam's second step downward was his willingness to be reminded of the truth that he did not want to see. He had no business to be there in King Balak's camp. Now he was in Satan's territory, and he was vulnerable to Satan's schemes. 
You see, three times this prophet sought permission to curse the Israelites, and three times he was denied and said, bless them. During his first prophecy, we read the scripture here, he said, let me die the death of the righteous. Let my end be like theirs. I, I really believe those words would indicate that God was trying to work in Balaam's heart. Trying to help him come to the senses. And to think of the prodigal son. <clears throat> he would have sat a long time there in a hog's pen, wishing for a better life. He had not come to his senses and went back. He said, I will arise and go to my father's house. Listen to this quote. Listen carefully. It is not the wish, but the will. Not the feeling, but the doing. God looks for that. It's not the wish, but the will. Not the feeling, but the doing. And God looks for Apostle Paul said there in Romans 2.13, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, those who obey the law, who will be declared righteous. Poor Balaam, he might have improved on the wish. Too bad he didn't say, and really mean it, let me live the life of the righteous. That's the only way to die the death of the righteous, if you live it. Balaam could not curse the Israelites to King Balak's dismay. And then his anger from the king came against him. So they parted their ways, went back to their home, traveled that 400 miles back to where he had lived. If only the story ended there, but it doesn't. Balaam was eaten up with covetousness, and eventually figures out a scheme that he himself, well, he doesn't really have to curse them. But he's going to get financial reward because the same results are going to happen. Time passed, we don't know how long. But sin enters the camp. Could have been weeks, could have been months. Suddenly they learn there's a terrible sin among them that brings down God's wrath and curse upon them. The very curse that King Balak was wishing all along. Balaam seeking God's counsel couldn't bring. We read in Numbers 25, the first five verses, that Israel played the harlot with the women of Moab and bowed down to the false god Balaam. As a result, God smote and killed 24,000 of them. So this sin, 24,000 people died. Now, what does this have to do with Balaam? At first glance, it would seem like nothing. Not a word is mentioned about him here in this story, about the sin, about the plague that followed. But Balaam, concerned that his prophetic reputation would remain intact, figured out a plan that he could earn some of the king's money. And so he must have traveled all the whole way back down to Moab to hatch this plot. In essence, he may have said something like this, although I cannot disobey God by cursing Israel, I can tell you how to draw them out. It will surely bring a curse on them. And so we remember 
Balaam now to this day as a traitor to the cause of God. His, his name is remembered with reproach and shame. We read in 2 Peter 2 verse 15 that he is Balaam the son of Beor who loved the wages of wickedness. Also in Revelation 2.14 Balaam taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin. So all of us are solemnly warned here today to not follow the ways of Balaam and the error of his choice which was motivated in conclusion, I, I believe that we all need to hear this final word of warning. What happened to Balaam can happen to any one of us. Don't play games with your conscience. Don't allow the allurement of fame and fortune to devour you from wholehearted service and obedience to the Lord. If you're aware of some secret sin or some ungodly desire that will weaken your conscience, Run to the cross. Pray for the blood of Jesus to cleanse your heart. I think we can do something there. We can put up barriers. We can eliminate anything from our life that promotes temptation or feed that area of weakness in our life. I read or heard something a number of years ago. I think they, they asked an Indian believer how you can walk with the Lord. And he said, we both have two natures within us, and he may have called it a wolf. He said, whichever wolf you feed is the one you're going to be better. So think about that. You know, these areas could be wrong relationships, bad reading material, internet, surfing, unwholesome music, etc., etc. Ask the Lord to help you to see and, and identify that area that is dragging you down to get rid of that and let it alone. Help you overcome those areas. Remember a time when God said a clear no in your life. Today you have compromised and you're doing that. And you need to say, Lord, I've, I've failed you. Maybe it's your second best you're allowing me to have. But I want to be in the center of Picture with me a fence that surrounds a, a luscious pasture of green grass. It's there as a boundary. God puts fences in our lives to keep us from straying in the devil's territory. Oh, let's live rather out in the middle of that clover field than seeing how close we can get on the fence or maybe sit on top of the fence and make all the wrong way. These boundaries are set to keep us safe. So let's get out in the middle of the field. The only safe boundary from shipwreck is to avoid the half measures, the half surrenders. What I'm talking about. Not going all the way with God. Pray for love, real love, and surrender to the Lord. Pray for His grace to be honestly sincere. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. I pray that is our prayer today. For only in this way will we, in our service, be loyal and true to the Lord. Only in this way 
for we die the death of the righteous, and our end shall be like theirs. Mm-hmm.